Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello and welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. UConn is through its first two games of the season, a comfortable blowout win as expected over the Northeastern Huskies, and then a closer but still pretty comfortable considering the circumstances seven-point win over number three Texas at Gamble Pavilion on Monday. We talked about this being the big test, the first big test for this team, and I think it's a little unfair to say that they totally passed it and, you know, no questions asked. It was an unmitigated success. If for no other reason than Texas didn't have Rory Harmon. And that's a major storyline because as Vic Schaefer said, post game, Rory Harmon is pretty much the driver and the force and the heartbeat behind their defense. And it looks a lot different, especially when you lose her on no notice when she's not out there. You don't have her on offense. They very clearly had some troubles on the offensive end. And Rory Harmon may not have fixed all of them, but she definitely would have made an impact. So I think there's a lot of positives. It's mostly positives that you can take away from this one for UConn, but it does come with a little bit of an asterisk that Rory Harmon wasn't out there for Texas. But at the same time, you could argue Caroline Ducharme isn't out there for UConn. So both teams are without players, but it doesn't feel as convincing of a win over a number three team when their best player is not out there. Yeah, exactly. I think Rory Harmon does so much for this Texas squad, and it's her absence has been very evident on both ends of the floor against UConn and even in Texas's opener against Louisiana as well. I think you can just see in the way that their offense runs and then Kind of as Vic pointed out, the the intensity of their defense as well is definitely missing her presence. Still, as I said, a really mostly positive performance from UConn, and there's nowhere else that we can start except for the performance of AZ Fudd. Gino, really all offseason, has been incredibly effusive in his praise for AZ Fudd, and that continued justifiably so after the game on Monday, a career high 32 points, 22 of which came in the second half, 17 of which came in the fourth quarter. I thought she had the play of the game when she hit a big three pointer after Texas had gone on an eight Oh run to cut the lead from 17 to nine. And it really felt like the moment in the game where page backers normally hits the shot. That's when it was AZ FUD hitting it she scored from every level, hit threes, hit pull-ups, drove to the rim, had some really nice moments in transition where she just put on the jets and weaved through the Texas defense. Gino said afterwards that it was an All-American type performance, a National Player of the Year type performance. He then later said that she became a first-team All-American tonight 
And he doesn't know how many players in the country are capable of having a performance like that. And that it was the AZ FUD everyone expected when they recruited her. So I don't think you can get much higher praise from Gino than that, especially as a sophomore. And at the same time, I think it was completely justified. AZ was spectacular. And we've seen her put up big nights before, but almost all of those have been her going off on the three-point line. This and the Northeastern game have both been really, really good performances that haven't featured the three-point shot all that much. It was definitely more there on Monday than it was against Northeastern. But even still, I feel like three-pointers were just, you know, one of the courses on the meal, not the main entree. Yeah, exactly. And then I think when you look at kind of Northeastern versus last night, to do that against a top three team in the country, even if they don't have Rory Harmon, a Vic Schaefer team of all teams, I think I looked it up last night and there's, I want to say it was seven players. And since like Vic Schaefer took over at Mississippi State back in 2012 that have scored 32 or more against a Vic Schaefer team in the last 10 or so years. So just not an easy team to go out and do that against. So I think that speaks even more to her ability to kind of score at will and really put this team on her back. Yeah. And that was something that Gino said she needed to do this off season. And I think it was fair to be a little skeptical about that. And granted we are two games into the season. So it's not like she's been doing this every single night, the way that Paige did as a freshman, but at the same time, I don't think she's given us any reason to believe that she can't do this. I mean, we were sitting next to each other in the first half, and I said to you, like, she's not even really playing that well, and she's still probably going to end up with 30 points. And I was mostly saying that sarcastically, and she actually ended up with 30 points, but she didn't really dominate in the first half. She had six turnovers. She honestly played pretty poorly. I don't really think this was even looking at the performance in totality I don't think I'd give her more than like a B plus and it feels like pretty much every single time I've talked about her this season I've said I still don't really think we've seen AZ at her best and I still don't because you know the exhibition she shot a lot of threes but she didn't do much else and look she's taking 15 threes and making nine of them you're really not going to complain about the results but still it was just the threes and we hadn't seen her emerge on the rest of her game and the Northeastern game, she was really good at everything but the three. She only hit one three. And it's hard to give her an A-plus performance if she's not really hitting from three. And this game, she has a slow first half. She still had 10 points at the half, which, I, again, just goes to show you how good she is. But that's what I think gives me confidence that this isn't just going to be something that comes and goes because... She doesn't even need to play that well to put up really large numbers on the score sheet, which means when she does have a really good game and if she can start stringing really good games together, and I'm not talking about the way that she played. I think by all objective measures, the way she played on Monday was a really good game. But if we're using a page standard, the way that I think we should be with AZ FUD, I don't think she's played a fantastic, a close to flawless game which just goes to show you how high her ceiling is and how much better she can still get as a player. So this is why she was talked about as a generational prospect. She makes everything look so easy. And when it's not easy for her, she still finds production, which I it's just 
so jaw-droppingly incredible to watch. And I don't think we've really fully grasped how good she's been so far with, again, saying that she still has a lot of room to get better. Yeah, exactly. I feel like all signs from what we've heard from the coaching staff and then what we've seen so far point to this being what we're going to get from AZ Fudd at least every night. And then, like you said, there's so much more she can do. And then you look at UConn slate over the next, like, three weeks and how many more chances there are going to be for her to like show that against top tier opponents. And I think if anyone still has doubts on their, whether she can do this consistently, we'll, we'll probably have that answer by say first week of December. Right. And at that point, I usually feel like we have a pretty good grasp of where this team is. Maybe, maybe the COVID team was an exception where that team, I thought, well, the, the schedule was an exception too, because first week of December, they hadn't even started playing yet, but maybe if you just say a month into the season, I don't think we really knew what that team was. And the way that they looked at the start of the season was drastically different than the end, obviously by getting to the final four, I think by the number of games that they have, like you said, the quality of the opponents that they have high tier opponents, middle tier opponents, a couple bad ones too. We should have a pretty good feel of what this UConn team is. And I think it won't necessarily be a matter of, okay, well, like Nika Mule is going to come out of nowhere after playing no minutes early in the season, the way she did as a freshman and being one of the most important players by the end of the year, or maybe someone like you go back the year before that Anna Makarat doesn't do a whole lot struggles early in her freshman year, figures it out towards the end. I think we've got a pretty clear idea of what the rotation is. I think the players that are playing now are going to be the ones that get the chunk of the minutes. And it's going to be more a matter of we have a good understanding of how this team plays. And it's just going to be a matter of, can they keep raising their ceiling and raising their floor at the same time? Can they continue to improve on every performance and keep getting better? It's not like this team is going to be doing anything that we've never seen before. They're going to score a lot of points. They're going to shoot a lot of threes. They're going to pass the ball really well. They're going to try and get you in transition and they're going to play an aggressive defense to turn you over, to get you in transition and might struggle a little bit on the defensive end. Really not all that, complex of a formula but if this team can play at its best it's going to be really hard to beat so that's going to be the question that we look at as we go forward not can they evolve the way that they need to more just can they continue to stack good performances and small improvements on top of each other as you get to march yeah exactly and i think we saw that a lot in last night in that i they definitely got better in the second half. And then just like the fact that on game two of the season, they were able to be up at, by 17 on the, the number three team in the country at some point in the fourth quarter, obviously it didn't quite finish that big of a margin, but it felt like it was a very convincing win over Texas. And I think seeing that now, and there's so much time until March that they've clearly got the right pieces in place. And now it's just slowly building on that so that they're in the best possible spot come tournament time. Right. The scoreline felt a little deceptive in this one. It was essentially an 11 point game until Texas scored two baskets in the last, what, seven, five seconds. I wasn't even paying attention at that point because the game was already over. So if you look at the performance, I mean, Gino said it afterwards or relayed it from Nika that 
when they're really good, they're really good. And when they're bad, they're really bad. That's also not much of a surprise with a team that has so many new pieces, has so many players in much bigger roles than, than they were before. I mean, freshman AZ FUD and sophomore AZ FUD may as well be different players. They're not the same. Yeah, you have the comfort in the system and at the school, but that's pretty much where the similarities end. Nika Mule's never had anywhere near the responsibility that she has this season. Leah Edwards, Dorky Uhas. You got the new ones in Lou Lopez, Seneschal, and Ayana Patterson. You're going to have some rough moments early on. And the fact that they win and they won, and they still won pretty handily, I think you take a lot more from that than the fact that, yeah, it looked ugly for some stretches because unless you're planning to go, I don't know how many games they have on their schedule, but 39 and 0, let's say, I can't imagine that every single game is going to be perfect and they're going to have losses in there. I think multiple, I would say, I don't know to who they're probably going to have a bad night here and there, but that doesn't really change the fact that that's what happens to most teams. And I think that's okay. And UConn can go through those growing pains and those learning pains, but the fact that they won against Texas, that's the bigger thing to focus on than looking at the negatives, which were outweighed by the positives. Yeah, exactly. And I think correct. If this team went 39 and 0 or whatever it is to like get to no losses this season, that'd be pretty incredible. Like this schedule they're playing is not designed for that to be the case at all. Um, but I do think that they've got a lot of tests on there to learn from. And like you know said last night, learning from a win is a lot better than learning from a loss. And I get to do that this week not necessarily going to be the case over the next three weeks if you've got a couple few tough games coming so they might be learning from some losses too but definitely a step in the right direction on monday night and sometimes losses are a lot better at teaching things than wins are i think right now the best comparison for this team to me feels like that first post brianna stewart year where obviously you lose the superstars and I mean, Paige Beckers to Brianna Stewart isn't the worst comparison, but senior Brianna Stewart and injured Paige Beckers aren't fully comparable. But just in the way that people feel to be doubting UConn a little bit and aren't necessarily respecting the pieces that they have, like AZ FUD. And this team, I still think, is going to surprise people by how good they are. But a little slip up somewhere isn't going to be the end of the world because I firmly, firmly, firmly believe that if that team the year after Stewie lost a game somewhere, whether it was the Tulane game, I mean, that was the only one that was close. But if they are actually the Florida State game to start the season, anything in there, they would have been way more confident. I don't know if confidence is the right word. They would have been less scared of losing because they didn't really have that experience and know what it was like most players on that team. And that's something that's important to learn from and grow from. And no doubt in my mind, they would have won the national championship if they won that game. I don't think a loss to this team would be the worst thing in the world. I don't totally know. I mean, outside of the obvious being South Carolina, I don't totally know who it's going to be because it's still a good schedule, but I think it's looking a lot weaker than it did. Obviously, Texas doesn't have a player. I don't think Duke's going to give them any trouble. Iowa, whew, woof, almost <laughs> lost to Drake on the road, sure. Went to overtime with Drake. 
they're we knew i mean i don't think our opinion of iowa is all that different after that game right no my opinion of iowa is exactly what it was maybe just the rest of everyone else is catching up with it (laughs) (laughs) then you know i could see notre dame being a tougher game than expected but princeton's got off to a slow start maryland i genuinely don't see maryland giving them all that much trouble do you no, honestly, I've been very underwhelmed by Maryland so far. I think people got excited because they were close with South Carolina for half a game, but then they almost lost to, I forget what irrelevant team they played on last weekend that they had trouble with. I don't think they're going to be very good. Then Tennessee, speaking of teams that are underwhelming, they don't have Jordan <laughs> Orston, which part of it, but, you know. Yeah. UConn doesn't have Paige Beckers and they're fine. So yeah, yeah. I I really retract everything I said about (laughs) Tennessee to start this season. (laughs) Covering what I've covered the last year and a half or whatever, I really, really, really struggled to find the injuries are the reason this team is struggling to be all that valid because uh, that feels like an excuse for poor coaching and poor play by the rest of the players look it it has an impact but let's not pretend like jordan horston was not a factor in the ohio state game that they blew so i i don't and then south carolina is south carolina and i think whenever you play them with Aaliyah boston that's going to be a struggle in and of itself so yeah i don't know maybe that's the loss but I still think they lose one somewhere, but it's not like there's an obvious candidate out there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the South Carolina one's the obvious candidate, but I would say something in the next couple of weeks. Like, I wouldn't be that shocked if they dropped the NC State or the Notre Dame game. Um, those are going to be both top 10 opponents. I don't think there's any shame in losing either of those games. Or it's going to be like some fluke, like loss in, in conference play, a Villanova or Creighton type thing. I mean, Creighton is the first game after Christmas, and that's on the road. So that actually wouldn't, like, I could see that happening. Just you're coming off a long break, might not be in the best shape. You're still have your mind on Christmas a little bit. You you know, maybe you're not fully locked in for that game as you should be. It's a later game, 830. I could see that one going a little weird, especially if Creighton continues playing well. I imagine that's going to be a pretty electric atmosphere so other than that like DePaul's off to a bad start Seton Hall gave Princeton a game but I still don't see Princeton being as good as they should be I don't think Seton Hall should be really a threat for UConn and they don't play Villanova until the later half of the year so Uh, it's just it feels a little underwhelming right now looking at the (laughs) schedule yeah, that Creighton game is probably a good candidate. They sold out their home opener tonight. It was definitely a good atmosphere in there. It came through in the broadcast. Uh, but if they lose that game, it's probably not going to look that bad because uh, Creighton's probably going to be a top 15 team next week. So if they stay there, it's not going to look like a bad loss. Also, who knows? Creighton could be a top 10 team by yeah, the time the that these two going. teams... Like, not only the way they're playing, the way that pretty much... Pretty much everyone else is going. I mean, the Iowa game was before the poll came out, right? So that got that one got factored yeah. in. 
and yep. they didn't even flinch, which is absurd. But like the poll only moves when teams lose. Like that is just they people in a nutshell. Right. <laughs> so like let's just say Creighton stays undefeated and UConn beats NC State and UConn beats Notre Dame. Right off the bat, there are two losses right there of top 10 teams that could drop. And then Louisville, I think, is going to lose sooner or later. I think they're really struggling right now. Iowa is Um, almost certainly going to be out of the top 10 by then. I'm curious how far Texas drops. I think they deserve some consideration for not having Rory Harmon and losing to UConn on the road. So I... I'm just, I'll throw that prediction out there now. Creighton's going to be a top 10 team when UConn plays them in December. Yeah, they have to play at Stanford the the game before they play UConn. So that'll probably keep them, that might keep them out of the top 10, but because they're going to probably lose that game. But still, I think this Creighton team is very good. And that, yeah, top 10, top 15 team. I wouldn't be surprised to see them move into the top 10 because if they don't lose, other than that Stanford game, <laughs> enough teams are going to kind of fall below them at that point so honestly they're the only team i would say that i've like watched so far that i've been impressed by what i've seen and maybe that's just because the expectations are a little lower for creighton but i don't think that i've watched a lot of games where i've been impressed other than so creighton. did creighton just schedule the best non-conference schedule of or the toughest non-conference schedule of any team in the country Gave themselves the yeah. South Dakota road trip. Played Nebraska, who's ranked at home. Going out to Stanford. I mean, t- those aren't jokes of opponents. Those are really, really tough games, especially on the road for a lot of those. That's really impressive that I or Creighton's challenging itself. And I don't know if it's directly as a result of their Elite Eight run, trying to prove themselves, if it just works out that way. But that is wildly impressive to me. Yeah, and like they've got a couple of cupcakes coming at Northern Iowa and Omaha, but those are still on the road, so they have to get road wins, which is always looks a little better. And then they still have a non-conference too, kind of coming in December. Drake, which is the team that actually just took Iowa to overtime, um, a decent opponent, and then uh, Arkansas as well, so an SEC team in there too. So a really strong non-conference slate for Creighton this year. The Fighting Sailor Poffin Bargers. <laughs> I don't know that Arkansas is actually any good, but it's still an SEC team. <laughs> I mean, clearly they aren't if Sailor Poffin Barger is starting. <laughs> I mean, that is a telltale sign in and of itself. Any team that's worth its salt is not having someone who doesn't feel like playing basketball starting. Doesn't have yeah. someone who'd rather be in a sorority starting. So I have absolutely no time for arkansas to be considered even a remotely good team but yes they are an sec school so like talent wise they're probably up there yeah in theory in theory (laughs) anyways to get back to the texas game a little bit another pretty positive sign going forward is we have now had Three straight games where Aubrey Griffin has played well and has looked confident and has been determined with the ball in her hands and hasn't had much hesitation in her game. A really a game saver in the first half, 12 points off the bench, hit a three with her first touch on the ball, active on the boards, disruptive on defense, comfortable getting to the lane, 14 points total in the game. Again, it's just Aubrey looking like a different, like an improved version of herself that 
we definitely didn't see from freshman to sophomore year. And we could not have seen from her sophomore to her junior year because she got hurt. So this is feels like Aubrey Griffin taking the next step right in front of our eyes. And again, it's got to come with more consistency, more than three games, two of which came against very low quality opponents. But if we're just talking pure confidence, it's been a milestone season already for Aubrey Griffin. Yeah, exactly. And I think especially considering you didn't really know what to expect coming into the season, coming off such a serious injury and such a big surgery, there was a lot of question marks. And I think it's just such a good sign to see her out there and being able to play at the level that she's playing right now to begin with. But then if she can continue this going forward, I think it's a really good sign for this team in terms of, like you said, she just looks a lot more confident and a lot better than we've seen really throughout her career at UConn. Um, I think we've seen it in flashes at times, but not consistently. And granted, two games isn't necessary, necessarily consistent, but if it continues, it's a it's a good sign for this team. And from what we're seeing from her around the perimeter, that's also a really important sign for this team because that means they can put her into pretty much any single lineup and she can just mold her game into whatever they need her to do. If Aaliyah Edwards and Dorky Juhas get into foul trouble, then she can play in the front court a little more and focus on rebounding and defense and hitting the boards. And if some of the guards are in foul trouble, the way Lou Lopez Seneschal was, then she can play more of a wing guard role. That's probably where she's going to be most valuable to this team because they don't have a deep bench with all the injuries. They don't have the spots at every position that they thought they were going into the season they're going to need her to fill in in different positions throughout the season. And sometimes they're just going to need her to come into the game and give the defense a different look. And it doesn't matter where it is. It doesn't necessarily even have to be based on foul trouble or matchups. You know, if you could throw someone who's athletic rebounds, well plays good defense and can shoot into a lineup. That's really tough for other teams to handle. And we saw against Texas that that makes a really, really big difference sometimes. So I think, it's really exciting what she could potentially do this year and really promising that we've seen so much from her already. So just to take a quick detour back to our conversation about, man, the schedule is really not looking as tough as it was. Megan, you did briefly, or we both, did I mention DePaul or did you mention? I think you did. I think you did. Okay. Um, we literally just talked about DePaul having a rough start to the year. They just lost to Cleveland State. If you've never heard of them, I is there like an ESPN 30 for 30 about their men's team or something? There might be. That's oh, something maybe. really obscure. I think that's the only reason I've ever heard of them before today. Actually, their men's team might have beaten someone. Anyways, that's losing <laughs> the plot here. DePaul lost to Cleveland State. Despite what from Anissa Morrow? 42 points, 15 rebounds, 3 assists, and 3 blocks. Dog! <laughs> Dog! Yikes. What is going on? That's know. bad. That's really, it's really bad. bad. It's really bad. It's real bad. Oh, man. Did, did the Dayton game break the program? Apparently, I don't know. I mean, they did lose a lot. I'll give them that. Like, I think like their entire backcourt graduated or transferred, but 
it's still just yikes. Yikes, yikes, how, yikes. How do you waste a year of Anissa Morrow, though? Yeah. You only get her for four. Yeah. Go out. Oh, man, that kills me. That kills me as a big Doug Bruno fan to not maximize your best talent I've ever seen at DePaul. And, yeah. uh, Allie Quigley would like a word. Oh, yeah. Fair. I didn't see her play personally. That She was before my time watching the team, but their best talent since Allie Quigley, I think, might be a fair way to put it. Oh, that that hurts. That hurts. Yeah, it does. Especially because it's just like, if they suck, then like people aren't going to watch Nisa Morrow, which is upsetting because she's one of the best players in the country. It, I mean, you can't really watch her anyways because she's on Flow Sports. Yes. Yeah. No, I did watch a Flow Sports broadcast tonight that was not horrible quality, so there's that. <laughs> See, it killed me because last night there was that Seton Hall Princeton game going on, and I really wanted to flip it on at the end because it was a close game, and I was hoping that it was at Princeton because I knew it would be on ESPN+, Plus, and then the minute that I saw it was at Seton Hall, I knew there was no hope in ever seeing the end of it. <laughs> you should have just said something to me. I I bought it today, but I knew I was buying it this month anyway for the Thanksgiving uh, tournaments, so I could have done it last night. <laughs> I, in fairness, I think it might have been during post game while we were waiting, and we didn't. Well, we waited a little long, but yeah, it's it's just annoying because I want to watch, but if you don't have a good app for me to flip it on my TV, the odds of me watching it go down exponentially. Yeah. It's really also just expensive and like yeah. <laughs> it's already expensive to try to watch everything and then that's more expensive. Also, did you know ESPN Plus's subscription price went up a ton? I don't know. I if should you have know it, this. But... I do have it. Did I notice that went up? No, that's bad, but it shows you how on top of my subscriptions I am. <laughs> so like I understand it like increasing because they do add a lot of new live games they had a lot of content i'm not necessarily complaining about jet like gradual increases but i think last season that i just it just renewed for me recently it was like 70 bucks this year it just renewed for over a hundred dollars that feels oh, wow. like a lot that does feel like a lot i feel like i was paying like six dollars a month before i remember when it launched i think i got it for like 50 dollars on the year so I'm not going to cancel it because this is a free ad, but I do really like ESPN Plus and Hockey East is on it, which if you are somehow unaware, I cover UConn men's hockey and Hockey East. So that's very valuable to have regardless, but I'm not complaining. I was just a little stunned at the number. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Honestly, I should probably look up what I'm paying for it because I don't even know. That's, that's bad. <laughs> well, speaking of things that... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, uh, speaking of subscriptions that you should pay for, the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly, run by myself, Megan, and the rest of our staff at Stores Central, we put out premium UConn Women's Basketball coverage analysis, breakdowns, post-game stories, previews, things that you can't get anywhere else. It is $6 for the month. Or $70 for the year. I personally think it, it is a really good deal. I am biased, though. I, I admit that. But you are supporting 
as local of UConn women's basketball coverage as you can. So UConn women's basketball weekly you can find it at UConn WBB weekly.substack.com. There's no subscription to listen to chasing perfection. There is no barrier. There's no paywall on chasing perfection, but if you like the show, a subscription to the weekly is directly subscribing to chasing perfection. So if you love UConn women's basketball, want good coverage. And if you're looking for a gift for someone this year and you just can't figure out what to find that grandparent or that great aunt or uncle or anyone in your life who loves women's basketball, who loves UConn, who loves both, who maybe just loves reading, you can also get them a gift subscription. Also, we're just continuing to push this because one of these days we're no longer going to put it out on the Yukon blog feed, but Chasing Perfection does have its own feed. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, or you can sign up on Substack so that you get a direct email in your inbox every single time I hit publish on an episode. So we will have the links to that in the description if you are listening either through the Yukon blog website or through the Yukon blog feed on whatever podcast app you listen to. Again, if you're a weirdo like me who uses Stitcher and you can't find it, that's because it's not on there. But I have yet to have anyone, a single person contact me and say that they would like it on Stitcher. So I have not made another extensive effort to get it on there because it's just really wonky for me when I try and do it. But if the people desire, I will get it there. But back to the show. One last positive, one last riser for me in this game. And I don't think she necessarily did anything that stood out. But I still was really impressed by her performance. Dorka Yuhas. 39 minutes. And they were all pretty good. What was the big storyline coming in? Conditioning. She would have a really good start to her minutes. But then she'd get tired. She'd go to the bench. Or she'd become ineffective or a liability. And then she would go to the bench. 39 minutes, pretty much all of them were really good. I thought she was really tough in the paint. She was really aggressive on rebounds and not going to win any awards, not going to make any All-American lists with that performance. And she certainly could do better, but I thought it was a really good start. Her first time carrying the load against a good opponent and the fact that Aaliyah Edwards had a pretty rough first half and Dorka still held her own. I think that's a reason to feel pretty good about the way she played. Yeah, I agree. The other thing that stands out to me is the rebounding. They were really able to hold their own on the glass. Like they beat Texas in the rebounding margin, 34 to 26. Um, and Dorka Uhas was a big part of that. And I don't know that I would have predicted that they were going to out-rebound Texas going into this game, especially given how much size Texas has. So I think that was a really good sign to see them come out and Uhas in particular do such a good job on the glass in this game yeah and speaking of that front quarter as we just mentioned Aaliyah Edwards really rough first half it was a good sign that she bounced back in the second half and definitely looked a lot better I didn't think she was fantastic but almost uh, not in the same way that we're talking about AZ but if we're saying we're pretty disappointed in the way Aaliyah Edwards played she still finished with 11 points, eight rebounds. 
that's something that you can live with. It's not like, look, we were, we were the most pro Olivia Nelson Adota people that there were. No one else, maybe outside the team <laughs> and outside the family, were more for Olivia Nelson Adota than us. But when Olivia Nelson Adota had a bad game, she was a liability out there. She was just killing the team and she wouldn't rebound from it. The fact that Aaliyah Edwards, who was killing the team in the first half, bounced back to a good second half and still had a you know, pretty good stat line, all things considered. I find that pretty positive and pretty encouraging, even though I'm still worried about that first half performance. I'm not letting her off the hook. I'm just saying that's a positive in the way she played. Yeah, I think her performance in the, the first half would have been a lot more concerning had she not come out and played well in the second half. And then you're like, okay, well, we saw her play one really good game and one not good game, and we're kind of back to inconsistent Olya that we got last year. So at least seeing that second half be positive, I think, is a good sign. But I feel like Edwards is a player right now where it's kind of like we've got to see a little bit more to know if she can really consistently do what this team needs her to do to be at their best. But I agree that like an 11 and eight night is much better than what we would have gotten from her in an off night last year. If there is another silver lining to the way she played for as bad as she was in the first half, I felt it was almost a matter of her trying too hard as opposed to last year where she wasn't putting in the effort that she needed to. There were some bad fouls, a few bad turnovers, some ugly shots that she was clearly a little too amped for. I'd rather have her making those mistakes as opposed to just being invisible because again, if you're doing too much, then I think it's a lot easier to reel that in and slow your heartbeat down and find a groove as opposed to, it feels like it's a lot harder to break out of it when she's that invisible type of player that we saw way too much last year. So couple positive points out of what was for the most part i don't think anything that Aliyah edwards is going to want to remember looking ahead nc state next up on sunday huskies have most of the week off which how their first week went i think makes sense play sunday thursday monday you get a little bit of time off you play sunday against number 10 nc state rematch of the double ot thriller in Bridgeport last year, I don't know if NC State's still crying about it, but there are still people out there crying about the fact that that game was in Bridgeport. I'm sure, actually, I'm happy that I'm going to be at that game, so I don't have to hear about it on the broadcast. Rematch between the teams. Both teams certainly look a lot different. Paige Beckers had a huge monster game. Took over in the fourth quarter at one point. Obviously, she's not going to be in this one. Alyssa Kinane. She's not at NC State anymore. Really, just both teams look a lot different. What have you seen from the Wolfpack? All one word because they don't know how to spell so far this season, <laughs> Megan. Yeah, I think it's a team that has some of the, the kind of key pieces they got off the bench and things like that last year, but lost a lot of their starters. So in a similar position in a lot of ways to UConn in that it's a little bit of a, a changing of the tide going into this season, though I think UConn probably has a little bit more of an edge on the, the talent that they're returning versus NC State. Um, and then they have a couple of big transfers as well. Sonia Rivers uh, transferred from South Carolina, Mimi Collins from 
think she had stops at Tennessee and Maryland before ending up at NC State. So some some big transfer pickups as well. I've only seen them play once so far this season in their opener against Quinnipiac, which is probably the best team that they have played so far this year. They played Elon and Mount St. Mary's after that. So I would say Quinnipiac is probably the better team there. Um, but the thing that stood out to me when they played Quinnipiac was their defense. I think a Quinnipiac team that was without their best player when they played uh, NC State, but still a team that's going to be able to score some points this season. And NC State was really just able to make it really difficult for them to get any kind of shots that they wanted in that game. So that stood out to me a lot. And I think it's going to be a good test for UConn's offense going in into Sunday. Um, I still feel like NC State's figuring out their offense a little bit. They've been able to score well against their opponents, but I think a great assault considering who they've played so far. So um, I do think UConn probably has more offensive firepower, but from what I've seen, NC State might have their defense figured out a little bit more than UConn does. So that leaves us with a pretty intriguing matchup, and I'm struggling a little bit to figure out where this one should go because once Rory Harmon was down for Texas, I felt like UConn was going to win that one pretty comfortably. Pretty much the way that they did win it is how I expected them to do. I kind of feel like this NC State game is going to be similar, but it almost sounds like you're feeling like this one could be tighter. Uh, I don't necessarily think UConn's going to win it by like, well, I don't think the final margin is necessarily going to be tighter. I think that the final margin is going to probably end up similar place to it was with Texas. I think it might feel a little tighter because I feel like even though they only beat Texas by seven points or whatever it just didn't feel like a seven point game we kind of already hit on that but like they were up big at the point in the fourth quarter it felt like they had a handle on it for sure I could see this one being a little bit more more of a challenge um I don't know that UConn's going to be able to easily get the separation but at the same time if AZ Fudd comes out and has like a 30 point type performance they very well might get the separation because I just don't know that there's anyone on NC State's roster that's going to be able to match that there isn't anyone on NC State's roster that's going to be able to match that, to be fair. Right, and to what I said earlier, we haven't seen what I'd consider an A performance on the Paige Becker scale, or bell curve, grading curve, whatever you want to call it. Yet this season, if that comes on Sunday... NC State's not coming out of here with a win because even Lou Lopez Seneschal, I didn't feel like played that well. Having that experience in that first tough test, knowing what that crowd's like, I thought UConn came out a little overamped in that game. We saw that with some of the foul trouble. We saw that with some of their early misses. I think if they're a little more settled in this one and have a just a better, a slower heart rate going in, that should help them. It'll be a good test. I don't think it'll be a blowout by any means. But yeah, I think, like you said, AZ FUD's going to be a difference maker in this one, especially if she just has one of those games. She starts shooting the three early, and that that rim just becomes a bucket, becomes the ocean. Then I don't know how NC State's going to find a way to keep up. Yeah, exactly. I think it's it's going to be hard. They've kind of had a balance scoring attack so far, and I just don't know that there's anyone that can really match the type of production that UConn gets from AZ Fudd, and then they still have so many other weapons on this UConn team to kind of 
keep up with the rest of the players on NC State. So I do think it's going to be a hard a hard thing for NC State to win it. I don't think it's going to be a blowout, but I do think it'll be difficult for NC State to win. I guess the one thing to keep an eye on is Diamond Johnson is a player that was able to get really hot for them from three to last season. She's actually shooting over 60% on threes through their first three games, which is kind of insane. Um, so that's definitely something something to keep an eye on. They're going to need to guard her well on the perimeter. I think if she was able to get hot and knock down a bunch of threes, that could keep NC State closer than maybe UConn thinks they would stay. But overall, I still like UConn's odds to come out of this with a win. We also say all this, but I wouldn't put the odds of it very high, maybe like 5-10%. But I also don't think it would be totally stunning if UConn came out and just laid an absolute egg. Yeah. Maybe not this game, but I think it's going to happen at some point this year. I think it wouldn't be the worst thing if it does happen at some point this year. Most teams do, and sometimes UConn just out-talents other teams. But, you know, it's a young team, a lot of inexperience, a lot of trying to figure itself out. So I just, I don't want to predict that happening, but I just feel like sometimes we talk about, well, this is what should happen. And we don't necessarily hit on the, and UConn could just come out and suck aspect yeah. of this game. And I think with this team, especially that's more than possible. Yeah, exactly. Especially with such a young team and just also like coming off such a big matchup with Texas on Monday, this one, Feels like it packs a little bit less of a punch, but is still, you know, a top 10 game. So there, there's definitely potential for that. And then I think NC State is a team that kind of on the flip side, even though they have a lot of players that are in new roles or like have to take a big step forward from what they've been asked from last season. They're still experienced. They've got a good portion of seniors, juniors on this roster that have been around the program for a while and, and know the system. So a little, bit, a little bit more experience going for them, which could could help them. Yeah, either way, it'll be another, it's just data points at this season. We're collecting data <laughs> points on this team. We're collecting data points on, this, on these players. And we're going to get a lot of them over the next month or so. So it'll be interesting to watch. On that note, that'll do it for this episode of Chasing for Perfection. Next week, somehow, impossibly, we will be previewing the Phil Knight tournaments. It's somehow almost Thanksgiving. How did that happen? I'm not sure. Honestly, I'm still confused that it's November. So, <laughs> I guess that's what happens when September doesn't exist, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. <laughs> that that month didn't happen. There's no way you can convince me that September happened. Yeah, exactly. But somehow Thanksgiving is next week and then it'll be December. Though, honestly, being it snowed now, my Christmas tree might go up this weekend. I actually was just thinking how it feels like the Christmas season, maybe it's just my own personal circle, has started earlier than I'm used to in the past. Like, it started after Halloween, where normally most, I don't even want to say most normal human beings, because my favorite humans are the ones that celebrate Christmas as early as possible. But a general society i will say waits until after thanksgiving but i'm i'm very down with the early start to christmas i already started christmas shopping humble i did start christmas shopping um i am usually though like a christmas starts after thanksgiving for some because i love thanksgiving and i hate that it gets like overshadowed 
by Christmas, but I don't know, something about like it being cold now and it's snowing and just like, I don't know, I feel like I just need the, the Christmas tree for some joy. <laughs> I could take it or leave it with Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I enjoy the time to get to see my family and such, but you know, if Thanksgiving was, if it was just instead of Thanksgiving, it was just, I went and saw my family. I think that would be perfectly fine instead of the big effort to have this big meal and all the energy and effort and stress and everything like that, that goes into it. So that's what I enjoy about Thanksgiving, but the actual holiday itself, I mean, my, my Mayflower ancestors are going to be rolling in their graves as I say this, but <laughs> I, it just doesn't do anything for me. And then I, nothing against the people that do love it. That's great. You do you. I, I'm not saying that you should hate it, but it's just never as strictly as a holiday, not what happens with the holiday. It's never done anything for me. It's a whole holiday centered around food. What more could you ask for? Yeah. See, and I'm not like a huge food person and <laughs> it's not like food that I'm super crazy about either. I, I do love me some mashed potatoes. I could eat mashed potatoes for days, <laughs> the Irish person and me talking, but like Turkey's fine. I don't love it. I don't hate it. It's perfectly fine. My family's not a mac and cheese at Thanksgiving family. So like that's something that either. I actually feel like might influence my holiday. I do love a good apple pie. I, I, I would go. I don't think I've had an uh, maybe I've had apple pie once this fall. But again, like I'm not a huge foodie. So I think that's probably a big reason why it doesn't do a whole lot for me. Yeah, I can't really love food. I love a holiday centered around food. Granted, in my family, all holidays are centered around food, let's be honest. But <laughs> Well, what's your favorite Thanksgiving food or dish? So my family does this thing where it's butternut squash with like sliced in me and then it's layered with apples and then there's all like maple syrup and cinnamon sugar and stuff and all baked together. That's that's my favorite. Ooh. It's basically I mean, like vegetable and pie form. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like a lasagna, but Thanksgiving stuff. Yeah, that's good. I also really okay. love squash, so it's just like that time of year. I, I don't think I've really found anything apple that I don't like, so that's kind of what caught my eye there. From my, from my mouth, my taste buds, <laughs> whatever it would be, but well, okay, well. We will uh, dive more into our Thanksgiving takes next week when we preview the PK85 tournament, even though that's not the official name, and recap the NC State contest, win or lose. So on that note, that'll do it from us. Thanks for listening.